The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. From LinkedIn News, this is Get Hired, a podcast for the ups and downs of our professional lives. I'm Andrew Seaman, LinkedIn's managing editor for jobs and career development. Each week on Get Hired, we talk about leveling up. Sometimes we talk about finding work. Other times we talk about excelling where you are right now. And through it all, we focus on how to stay true to yourself in the process. In the last few years, many workplaces have finally woken up to the fact that employees from marginalized communities have different needs when it comes to being supported in the workplace. Still, we have a long way to go to make these spaces where everyone is set up to thrive. Enter today's guest, Alan Henry. He's a journalist with an impressive history. He was the editor-in-chief of Lifehacker, the editor of the New York Times vertical Smarter Living, and now he's senior editor at Wired. Even so, he noticed in workplace after workplace that he, along with his fellow employees of color, as well as LGBTQ employees, disabled employees, and women, were sidelined in the office. As a productivity expert, he couldn't help but notice that so-called hacks to address this issue were less useful when people were up against actual systemic marginalization. So he wrote a book. It's called Seen, Heard, Paid, The New Work Rules for the Marginalized, and it's chock full of advice for anybody who's outside the dominant group. Now, before we get into this conversation, a huge disclaimer. It isn't and shouldn't be on marginalized people to fix a broken system, but we'd be remiss not to give people the tools to operate in the system as it currently stands, especially since, as Alan says, this impacts every employee regardless of identity. Marginalization is for everyone. I mean, yes, there are definitely social groups, like, you know, people who are discriminated against because of their race, their ethnicity, their religion. Uh, They're all very front and center, right? But marginalization happens to everybody. It happens to women in predominantly male workspaces. It happens to disabled folks in workspaces where everyone is able-bodied. It happens to everyone who feels on the outside or is pushed to the outside because they don't fit in with the cool kids for whatever reason that might be. And it takes having the space to get together with some of those people who aren't the cool kids, for whatever reason it is, to say, no, we're going to air out our grievances and we're going to share our experiences so we don't feel so alone. Yeah. Your book, it gives really practical advice, which I really appreciate because I think there's a lot of advice out there that talks about this is about you, this is how you should do that. And you do give individualized tips, but at the same time, you also talk about support systems. Mm -hmm. What are ERGs and, and how can you use them to your fullest potential? And also, we should say that ERGs are employee resource groups, which are basically communal groups that people who care about a specific topic or have an interest in something or um, if they are a member of a group like, um, you know, here at LinkedIn, we have uh, groups for veterans, uh, for black and brown workers, we have uh, for the LGBTQ workers. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about sort of what they provide? Yeah, Shonda Rhimes calls it uh, first only or different. I think that's it, (laughs) F-O-D. But yeah, they're so important. I mean, and 
even in some of my most lonely times when I was at the New York Times, um, I knew that we had employee resource groups at the Times, but I hadn't gotten involved with any of them yet, partially because I knew they existed, but I didn't know how to get involved. And it wasn't until somebody kind of pulled me in, I think it was a book talk, sponsored by Black at NYT, which is the ERG for Black employees, members of the Black diaspora. And I went and everybody was just so, oh, wow, we haven't seen you here before. What department do you work in? Here's where our regular meetings are and everything. And it was such an open, embracing kind of environment that I had not experienced up to that point that reminded me that, no, not only am I not alone, there are people here that I can trust to share my experiences with. And there are people that I can trust to ask for advice. Yeah. And I think also, if you are one of the onlys, you know, sometimes having that conversation can sort of wake people up and say, oh, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and sometimes just being that person to say, hey, you know, we don't have an ERG here. If we're, there's only three of us, maybe that's a wider issue in this company. Right. And I think also beyond sort of the tangible career advice and, and sort of workplace navigation, I know, you know, when I was at a previous employer, I think I carried baggage with me that I didn't realize I necessarily had. And when I went to the LGBTQ ERG there, there was like this relaxation that I felt. And I'm like, oh, I could talk a little bit differently here. You're describing code switching and it's fantastic, right? You get to bring your whole self to a space that is welcoming to who you are. And you don't get to bring your whole self to other spaces that may or may not be welcoming to who you are, but you don't know yet, right? Like you come to work and you don't know if everybody that you're working with is going to understand you or understand the social baggage that you bring in with you, whether it is something that is visible, it is something that's not visible, it's something they suspect or something that they don't. And you go to an ERG and you get into a room with a lot of people that you know have the same lived experiences you do. And that's, I mean, I know I've said this word a lot already, but it's so powerful. Yeah. What did you find was really the most useful tool for you when navigating your job, your career, and and sort of just saying, okay, this is what I need to do for myself? Yeah, there were two big things. The biggest thing was keeping a work diary. And I I will shout that one from the rooftops forever. (laughs) I'm a huge advocate of the work diary because it is your personal track record of your own wins, your own successes, your small wins, your big wins. Um, Mine's just a running Google Doc. A lot of people, a lot of my friends buy fancy notebooks. I also (laughs) buy fancy notebooks, but I don't write in them because they're fancy and I feel like they've ruined if I do. And then you put them in your closet. I put them in my, yep, I look at them every day. And eventually they build and you have a storage unit and then that's my story. (laughs) Exactly. No, and I I also have a storage unit, but, but I keep a running list of all my little wins on a regular basis and then the big wins. But I also keep track of the challenges and the things that I struggle with, right? The, The projects that didn't go the way I wanted them to. And the people that I don't like working with versus the people I do like working with. So when I do have a big idea, I can go to the people I like working with and say, I have this idea. Do you want to collab on it with me? And then I know I have people that I can trust, right? But also, as something that I keep portable between jobs, right? I mean, I take it with me everywhere. My work diary is mine. It doesn't belong to any company. Um, When I sit in an interview, I'm ready for whatever they throw at me, right? And and I, I tell this to everyone, you, you will have this running list and ready answers to tell me about a time that you were challenged at work and how you overcame it, you know, or tell me your greatest weakness. 
I mean, you have real answers to those questions if you've been keeping track. You're ready to update your resume at any moment because you have been writing down the projects that you've been winning at, you know? So you don't have to be like, oh, I'm a workaholic. You can't get me to stop working. You don't have to give somebody an answer like that when you can really say something more meaningful and more relatable that a hiring manager or anybody who might open a door for you will resonate with. Yeah. And I think there's so many benefits to that because, in fact, it's yearly review time here on Mm -hmm. LinkedIn. And one of the things we were talking about in a meeting we had this morning literally was have a win folder, have something where you're keeping track of that. Because not only is it great when you're doing your yearly review, I think so many of us, when we get into a room with a manager, and hopefully you have those conversations regularly, but when you get into a room with a manager, you're like, oh, everything's fine. But if you have something written down, you could say, listen, these are the pain points that I ran into this week, or here are the good things. And I think when you have that roadmap, it's sort of like the gas for your career, but also just for having like a content work life. You don't have to love work, but it shouldn't make you miserable. Exactly. 100%. And that's the beauty of it. Like, keep track of those wins and challenges. It's probably the most powerful thing I have done since I entered the workforce, really. Is it cathartic for you? Oh, it's extremely cathartic. (laughs) Because it is a diary, right? So, I mean, sometimes I just jot down a couple quick bullet points. Other times I write out the whole story. I mean, I just, it's like a diary entry and then no one is allowed to see it. (laughs) But it is, it is true that sometimes I'll be like, so-and-so did this and I didn't feel like I was respected in that meeting. And -and so-and-so doesn't understand the background that I have in this field. It gives me a place to dump those feelings so they don't well up and they don't impact me at work and they don't impact my interactions with other people at work. Yes. And then, you know, you said there was something else that really helped you. Oh, yes. The weekly review. The weekly review comes from David Allen's Getting Things Done Productivity Technique. For me personally, I really like the notion of taking some time on a regular basis, and mine is every Friday, to sit down and really refocus on why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. Where does this work fit into my professional goals? And where does this work fit into my personal goals? And it's a good time for you to sit and say, this is the stuff I did this past week. Is my manager going to notice Is this in line with my team's priorities? As in, is it the kind of thing that my manager will bring up in our one-on-one or in a performance review and say, I'm glad you did that. That's really good work. It makes us all look good. Or is it busy work? Is it the office housework that I describe in the book where you're doing work that's essential for the team, but it's not going to get you promoted, right? Is it booking the meeting rooms? Is it scheduling the conference calls? Is it, you know, taking notes in the meetings? Or is it getting up and presenting your work at a meeting? Is it drafting the report that's going to go to the vice president's desk with your name on it and stuff like that? So taking time every week to say, am I doing busy work or am I doing work that's going to get me somewhere? That's also really, really important. And you have to make time where you are thinking about work to do that. And that's time where you're not working. Like you can't work during that time because it's tempting. It's tempting to say, oh, oh, well, okay, let me send a couple emails while I'm thinking about it. No, 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 don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. David Allen's rule is like, if it takes two minutes to do, do it. But if it takes more than that, don't. And I'm a little 
a little hesitant even on two minutes because two minutes can become 20 really easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You open that door and pretty soon it's wide open. <laughs> exactly. Suddenly it's 10 p.m. and you're still <laughs> waiting through your inbox, you know. So just take some time to think about the work you're doing and whether or not this actually matters to you. Because sometimes, I mean, a lot of us get caught in careers where we're good at something, but we don't like it. One of my best friends is working in tech and works in a job that he is very, very good at, but he just has no passion for it whatsoever. So to him, it's like, I get up, I, I do the work, I pay the bills, I go home. That's fine for him because his personal goals have nothing to do with that. But for those of us who are like kind of just doing that day in and day out and wondering, where is the reward for me? Well, you got to stop and reconnect with why you're doing it to make sure that you're leaving space for where you eventually want to be. Yeah. And I, I like the example that you gave of your friend, too, because I sort of when I I realized, OK, I'm going to be writing about the world of work for a long time and I don't yeah. want to be what I call the grim reaper of happy work, where it's like, you know, <laughs> do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Oh, I don't right. Subscribe yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, but I do believe that you don't have to be miserable at work and you should be able to have the relationship that you want with work. So Absolutely. if you just want a nine to five job where you show up and say, listen, I press the button and I go home and I have a great time, yep. that's fantastic. And and I'm happy that you found that or I hope you find that. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that you want to have more meaning in, I think, you know, connecting with that why gives maybe some of the smaller things you do meaning too. Mm -hmm. I think it's such a strong and powerful way to give yourself a daily reminder that, oh, this isn't just necessarily about a paycheck if you don't want it to be. Right. And that's uh, goes to something I tell people about productivity all the time as well, that this notion that we have been dumped into a world where productivity is the end-all be-all of everything. We have to get everything done all the time. It always comes. There's more stuff. But productivity should never be and should never have been just about getting more stuff done. It's about getting the stuff you have to do done so you can spend time on the things that matter to you. And whether that is the book you want to write or the career you want to have, or it's spending time with your kids or going for a run or training for a marathon or climbing Mount Everest, whatever it is, that's what productivity is supposed to be about. It's supposed to get all that stuff done so you can go do the things that matter most. And as long as you do that, you have a good relationship with the kind of work that you're doing. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, Alan digs into how to find a community in your industry, even when you're not at a large company. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors. I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. We're back with journalist Alan Henry, author of the new book, Seen, Heard, Paid. 
Now, we've talked about ERGs and other affinity groups that many larger companies have in place for marginalized employees to meet and share support. But what about job seekers or freelancers who don't have access to those internal resources? Where can they turn? Well, here's Alan. ERGs are great for people who are already at a company, but like there are professional organizations for virtually every industry. And then there are smaller organizations affiliated with big industry groups that focus on marginalized identities. And joining those groups, even just connecting with someone who is in one, can pull you into a community that will open doors for you, for one, because you all have shared lived experiences and you will all talk quietly about which organizations are the ones that will understand who you are and what you bring to the table versus the ones that really, really will not, you know? So I talk about the journalists of color slack a lot. And even across jobs in journalism, I have found people there who work in audio engineering, they work in video production, they work in social media. And these are parts of journalism that are important, but that I've never worked in. And we're all bouncing thoughts off of each other. And how easy is it to transition from nonprofit journalism to for-profit journalism? And should I work for PR? Should I leave the field entirely? And we're all talking about like our careers and we're giving each other advice and we're holding each other up. And we're also holding each other accountable for when we are doing things that are harming other marginalized groups are harming ourselves. And it's so important to have those those communities, those forums, where you can meet other people who have the same shared lived experiences that you do, but also in a way that doesn't foster a sense of um, syncopancy, right? Where everybody just agrees with each other just because you share an identity. No, we're all here to kind of make sure that we can all succeed at what we want to do regardless of what our background is. So seek out those communities wherever you can find them. Yeah, and I think, you know, something that is inherently difficult but also great about that too is that the way to find those communities often is to talk to people. But you kind of need to ask around. So if you are a job Mm -hmm. seeker, it sort of forces you to say like, hey, you know, what resources have you found beneficial? And if you sort of dig enough, you will get people that say, hey, there's this listserv or there's this Slack room. 100%. It's hard to get out there and talk to people. It's hard to put yourself out there and do it in spaces that make you the most comfortable, right? Whether it is shooting someone a Twitter DM or sending somebody a message on LinkedIn or connecting with someone on any of these platforms and say, hey, I am at this point in my career. Do you know of any organizations that may be helpful? Or do you know of anybody who's taking mentors or anything like that? Just connecting with people sometimes is enough to say, hey, I I want to be your professional friend. And I like the term professional friend over professional networking because at the end of the day, you're just friends with people that want to help each other with work stuff and sometimes personal stuff. You never know. Somebody might get you a job and then help you move. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, That won't be me. But (laughs) (laughs) not me. (laughs) I I think that's that's definitely right, because I always tell people the thing when you talk about networking or professional networking, a lot of times it brings up the idea of like a Hilton ballroom with everyone wearing. Hello, my name is. (laughs) Oh, no. Just no one wants that. I don't want that. No one. No one Uh, wants 
wants that. Yeah. <laughs> I think also sort of the tips that you provide in your book to give a really good outline of what people should look for from the outside of an organization. Oh, so, yeah. you know, you could sort of say, like, I'm going to be interviewing at XYZ Company. I really want to see what they look like on the inside and, mm-hmm. and see if they have ERGs, what their sort of review process is like. And is there yeah. anything that, you know, you think looking back at the companies you've worked at that you would have sort of taken more time to look from the outside before you went in? Yeah, I'm still a big proponent of following people who work at a company already just to get their get a feel for what they say about their experiences. Like you can tell a lot even when people aren't saying very much about what the vibe at a place is like. Um, and that goes for virtually every social platform, right? And if you find some like in journalism, we love to promote our own work because we have to. You know, eyeballs, <laughs> eyeballs equals paychecks. And so if you find somebody who's really open about, I worked on this story and I was very proud to do it, then you kind of get a feeling that, you know, yeah, maybe there's rewarding work to be done here, especially if you're of a marginalized identity and you're following somebody who is also of a marginalized identity. But simultaneously, like if you follow people and they don't talk about work at all, you do kind of have to wonder why. Maybe it's not a big part of their life. That's possible. Like you can go to Glassdoor and read reviews, but always keep in mind that reviews in general are <laughs> skewed to the negative yeah. because people who have emotionally charged experiences are more likely to post reviews. So I get that. But I mean, at the same time, like sometimes people will say, hey, I, I really like working here. And sometimes a lot of people will respond to a quick message that says, hey, I'm interested in someday maybe working at X place. What's your experience been like? And they'll just tell you. I mean, oftentimes you'll get an answer that is reflective of the past 72 <laughs> hours. <laughs> but but it helps sometimes to just say, hey, what is? do you like working there? What do you think? And some people actually like to hear that question. They like being asked for advice that only they can give. Yeah. And I guess, you know, for people out there who are still feeling a little bit down and out, maybe they do feel... Mm you know, like they're the only one and they they don't have people to confide in. And is there something that they could do today that you would think, hey, this will put you on a better footing? Yeah. (laughs) This may be a little bit counterintuitive, right? Because it actually has less to do with actual work. But it is remember the power of your voice and your experience and your background and Make sure always that you have interests and passions that sprout beyond any one job or any one job interview or any one phase in your career. When I was editor-in-chief of Lifehacker, I thought my career had peaked. And I talked to my friends from back then, and they laugh when I say that. Not to say that that wasn't an important job. It was a very important job, and I wouldn't be here without having it. But at the same time, I was like, where am I going to go from here? Well, I've been to many places. I've written a book. You never know what the future has in store for you. So believe in your own ability to move on and past whatever challenges that you're facing, because there will always be another opportunity. There will always be a choice that is better for you coming on down the line. You just have to not let yourself wallow in, I don't want to say negative vibes because it's such a cliche term, but <laughs> but it is that, right? Because feel what you're feeling, but let yourself move past it and understand that you can still do good things. You deserve the space that you take up and you have the skills and background to do a great job wherever you may land. You just need somebody to give you a chance and you will find somebody who will. Thank you so much for your time, Alan. 
Oh, thank you for having me. This has been fantastic. That was Alan Henry, journalist, Wired editor, and author of Seen, Heard, Paid, the new work rules for the marginalized. Remember, it's up to you to put our advice into practice. Still, you always have a community backing you up and cheering you on. Connect with me and the Get Hired community on LinkedIn to continue the conversation. You can also join my weekly Get Hired live show every Friday on the LinkedIn news page. And if you liked this episode, leave us a rating on Apple Podcast. It helps people like you find the show. And of course, we'll continue this conversation next week, right here, wherever you like to listen. Get Hired is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Andrew Seaman. Until next time, stay well and best of luck.